And we are having the toddler's church. So if you're under the age of five, you may be dismissed. And if you are five years or older, we're going to ask that you stay in this morning. And uh, as Andrew said, the whole purpose for the children's church is to prepare you to... Uh, be able to sit in the adult service. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to practice that this morning. So uh, the, the stiller you sit, the more still you sit, the shorter I'll preach. How about that? And uh, see if I can keep it under an hour this morning. Amen. Uh, so let's go to the book of Habakkuk. Uh, the book of Habakkuk, this has been our, our theme verse uh, for the year, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, it says, Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Now, it's kind of interesting, as Brother Davis explained Buddhism and everything, it's all about lifting up the soul within you, which the Bible says is unjust, uh, because no matter how much you do, the greatest sin in the whole Bible is pride. I'll tell you, we pride is worse than any horror movie that's ever been made. No matter how many times you kill it, it keeps coming back. And it is something that you'll be... Uh, with and dealing with until the day you die. He says, but the just shall live. Now, what's that next word in there, everybody, nice and loud? Well, that wasn't nice and loud. Here, let's try it again. The just shall live by his faith. You know, that word his is really important. It's a possessive pronoun. How many people know what today is? September 11th, the 15th anniversary. If you've listened to any news broadcast, the question, where were you 15 years ago today? I'll tell you where I was 15 years ago today. I was getting ready to preach at a preacher's meeting and uh, in Syracuse, New York. And, uh, you know... When Jesus comes back, I hope I'm getting ready to preach somewhere. And one of the most asked questions uh, anytime, uh, actually for several years, I go to a fellowship meeting with pastors, what, what's different? And, and at first, I really didn't know what to say because it's going like, well, things are different at St. Pat's. The Catholic Cathedral in Manhattan, they're filled to capacity. I said, but things aren't very much different at our church. And I got to thinking about that and praying about that because I was feeling kind of bad that I didn't have uh, some fantastic answer to give them. Now I realized something. We were already doing what was right. We didn't need to change anything at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. And you see... The just shall live by 
his faith. And so what I'd like to do in, in my ongoing secondary theme of this year is the greatest commentary on the Bible is the Bible. You want to learn about your Bible, study the Bible. Now, how does that verse apply? The just shall live by his faith when something really bad happens. Well, let's look in the Bible at some times when some really bad things happen. Since you guys are in here this morning, maybe you, one of you guys on the front row. I love to see young men ready for church, I'll tell you. And young ladies too, but what is the most horrible event, the biggest catastrophe that happened in the Bible? Every living soul but eight died. Say it out loud. Yes, there we go. Even Jason got it. Noah's flood. Now, you talk about a catastrophe. The people who know generations and study population and stuff said there, there may have easily been as many as two billion people living on the face of the earth at the time of Noah's flood. Eight people survived. Only two of all the unclean animals and only six of all the clean animals survived because the seventh was sacrificed as soon as they got off the ark. And so Noah's flood, if we talk about the history of mankind, and again, if you were here for Sunday school a couple weeks ago, we, we spent some time explaining. Uh, it wasn't an asteroid that killed all the dinosaurs. It was Noah's flood. But the scientists will never admit that the Bible is right. And, of course, they got it always backwards. You see, they said that the ancient world was destroyed by fire, and now global warming is going to melt the polar ice caps, and our present world is going to be destroyed by water. It's exactly the opposite. God destroyed the old world by water, and the world that now is is reserved under fire. You see, man will always do things backwards of God. Amen? And so what we're here today is to understand something. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, it says, In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up, and the windows of heaven were open. Every time I read that, I think of that song. The windows of heaven are open. Uh, they opened, but it wasn't blessings it was falling. Now, I'm still going to sing that song because I like it. And we know what we're talking about. But God opened the windows of heaven to bring the greatest cataclysmic judgment that's ever been brought upon mankind. Now, what does the Bible tell us about Noah? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, By faith... Noah, being warned of God of things not seen, as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness, which is by faith. You see, when the flood came, where was Noah? Where was he, Shimon? 
in the ark, he was safe. Now, how many of you like a little suspense? You like to read stories or... And what is the greatest theme that kind of runs through our modern day society? I mean, it's Johnny Janitor is sweeping the floor at the local gymnasium when the aliens land, and now he is the only human being that's going to save the universe from the evil fill-in-the-blank. Are you familiar with that? Or this guy goes to the ATM machine and he puts in his card, and all of a sudden he's part of a worldwide conspiracy that they're going to destroy all currencies, and he's the only guy in the world that can save us. Give me a break. That's never going to happen to you. Now, we hear lots of stories of people being gunned down in the streets. But I, I will tell you this in New York City. You've got to work pretty hard to put yourself in that situation. I don't know what the statistics exactly are for this year, but... Several years ago, they ran the statistics. Uh, this, was a, this was under Mayor Giuliani. So there were 359 murders in Queens that year. 358 of them had to do with drugs. Or 350. It was a huge number. 90% was drugs. And the other percent was domestic violence. Now, if you've been fighting with your wife long enough that she wants to kill you, there's something wrong with you, man. Understand that? And you don't become a drug dealer that somebody wants to kill overnight. It takes time to prepare for these things. Are we together on that? Do you understand what I'm saying? I know I'm saying it backwards. But this idea that I'm going to just be walking down the street and all of a sudden everything is going to turn upside down. Should never happen to the Christian. Did it happen to Noah? No, he had 120 years to get ready for the flood. And because he was living by faith, in sending the boys for wood. And they built this ark that it took 5,000 years for man to build a ship bigger than Noah's ark. It wasn't until the 1880s that we finally built a boat bigger than Noah's ark. Isn't that amazing to you? It's amazing to me. I can't. I, I love my Bible. But I want you to understand something. Noah didn't just build an ark. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Listen, Noah not only built an ark... The book of Hebrews told us a few minutes ago that he condemned the world by building the ark. If you build a boat 450 feet long in your backyard, 
don't you think some neighbors would ask some questions? If you started telling people it's going to rain and they say, what's that? It's never happened before. Water doesn't fall out of the skies. It burbles up out of the ground. I mean, come on. Well, we know all about rain today because it's been doing it since the days of Noah. Amen? But Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And Noah lived by faith. And Noah's faith, and here's the definition of faith. You've got to get this. Otherwise, you're going to end up a Calvinist or a hyper-dispensationalist. Uh, those are words that just definitely, simply mean nutcase. Amen? Uh, there's lots of biblical nutcases out there. And, and uh, I remember somebody showed me a paper one time. says, look at all the Bible verses this guy quotes. How many have ever heard of Tony Alamo? I think they let him out of jail. Uh, but just because you quote a bunch of Bible verses doesn't mean you're right. Devil quotes more Bible than anybody put together. With the exception of Harold Camping, he quoted more Bible and got more wrong than anybody I've ever heard of in history. Somebody said, no one is wrong about everything. Harold Camping was. Uh, if he believed half of what he taught, I have no hope of seeing him on the right side of eternity. And that's the tragedy, tragedy of the issue. But here's faith. Faith is obedience to the revealed words of God. That's what faith is. You know what? Noah did not need to know. It is finished. He did not understand that Jesus would die on the cross to pay for his sins. So there was an intimation of that, a foreshadowing of that, as the, the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head. But let me tell you something. Noah was too busy building an ark to think about everything else. Because Noah couldn't cut corners. On the ark. Inferior workmanship would have proved catastrophic. It only takes one little hole to sink a boat. And by the way, he didn't have the pumps in the keel to pump the water out. It had to be dry. And it had to stay dry. But the preacher doesn't, amen? And Noah did his work by faith. God told him to build a ship. He gave him the dimensions. And Noah built it. That's faith. When the catastrophe came, Noah was in the ark. Noah was safe. Can we say amen to that? How about the next greatest catastrophe in the Bible? By the way, both of these are found in order in Second uh, Peter chapter 2. How about Sodom and Gomorrah? For centuries, people who criticized the Bible and did not like this book would say, Okay, if Sodom and Gomorrah really existed, where are they? 
Where's the historical, where's the archaeological evidence? Where, where is that that those places never existed? Well, somewhere in the last 20 or 30 years ago, somebody started doing a little research and they believe they have found the ruins of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's at the bottom of the Dead Sea. You know, the only thing that lives there is bacteria. Abraham lived about 2,000 years before Christ. We're roughly 2,000 years later. So in 4,000 years of history, since God rained fire and brimstone down on the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, the only thing that lives in that site, you have to have a microscope to see it. I'd say that that kind of defines judgment, wouldn't you say, Uh, and destruction. I'd say there's no modern-day catastrophe that we know about. I mean, there's a whole lot more than that living at Bikini Atoll where we blew up, the exploded the largest atomic device ever exploded on the face of the earth. And there are plants living there and people go fishing. Now, you're only allowed one meal of fish from Bikini Atoll in your entire lifetime because of the sesnium and other uh, heavy metals that are still present there. But, I mean, you, you can, if you're brave enough, eat the fish there. But Sodom and Gomorrah, there's nothing. Absolutely nothing. I want you to, because this story isn't so familiar to us, let's turn to Genesis chapter 18. And I, and I want us to pick up the story here, get the context. And in verse 17, God had just visited Abraham and Sarah. And he had just explained to them that in the process of time, that there was going to be a child born and his name was going to be Isaac. Because both Abraham and Sarah had laughed at God. God says, I'm going to show you who has the last laugh. And uh, I'm sure our ladies, Carolina and Anita, and and uh, pray for Sarah. She's uh, right there at the beginning stages, and everything starts up, and they go to the hospital, and it all shuts down. She comes home, so pray for her. Uh, baby's coming any time there in Oklahoma. But listen, Sarah was 89 years old. I'll tell you who got the last laugh. God did, didn't he? And everybody, and Sarah said, everybody hears my story is going to laugh with me. And I see some of the ladies smiling as soon as they said 89 years old. They're going, well, that's crazy. Go through all of that at 89 years old. Well, that's what God did when he's in the miracle working business. And as soon as he finished explaining that, we start in verse 17 It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? He said, They were leaving, and he said, I should tell Abraham what I'm about to do. Now, Abraham's nickname in the Bible, his sobriquet, if you like big words, if you really want to impress someone, use that word, and they'll they'll say, Oh, wow, you're educated. 
But Abraham's nickname in the Bible was the friend of God. And it's normal for friends to share things with friends, is it not? And God says, I'm going to explain this thing to Abraham because he's my friend. He is upright. He is doing right. And I want him to understand what is going to happen. But God had an ulterior motive here, and we're going to get to it in a minute. He said, I'm sending my two angels down to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to investigate what's going on. Now, did God know what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? Absolutely. He didn't need to send anybody down to check things out. He was giving Abraham an opportunity to prepare for the catastrophe. Well, how was Abraham going to prepare? Well, let's go down to verse 23, I believe it is. It says, And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? What a question to ask. Now, here's Abraham talking to Jesus Christ, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus on this earth. And he said, Lord, are you going to destroy the righteous with the wicked? Are, are you going to do right? Now, what a question. Has God ever done anything wrong? Did Abraham not know that? Abraham was thinking about Lot, wasn't he? His nephew. And Abraham began a process. How many of you have ever heard the little cliche, Jewing someone down? It comes from this passage. Because Abraham was a Jew, and he started out with 50 and ended up with 10. He worked him down. Now, why did God let Abraham do that? Because he was preparing Abraham for the coming catastrophe. God already knew what was going to happen. But he wanted Abraham to have confidence that Abraham had done all that he could on behalf of the souls in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And I would say, talking to the Lord who was going to destroy those cities and begging for his repeal of that judgment, if they've only found ten righteous people in that city, I'd say that was pretty thorough, wouldn't you? But God stopped him at ten because God already knew the cities would be destroyed. But he also gave Abraham something else. How many people have you ever met that have criticized the God of the Bible for being harsh and judgmental? Good night. The world's full of them, isn't it? Well, I, I just, I can't believe in a God of love who, who would make a place called hell. Excuse me, 
Could I rephrase that a little bit? I'm going to, whether you want me to or not. What I don't get is how a person, a human being, can be so stupid and so arrogant and so foolish as to reject what Jesus Christ has done for them and go to hell in spite of all of the work that God has done to keep them out of there. Could we reword that a little bit? You see, man always looks at it from the wrong perspective. But when Jesus uttered, it is finished on the cross, he was very serious about that. Everything that ever needed to be done for every person who has ever lived to go to heaven was finished. I don't get how someone can reject what God has given. People do it all the time. In fact, it was Jesus that preached, broad is the way that leadeth unto destruction. And every city in this country has a street named Broadway. Now, is that not the blasphemy of the heart of man speaking against the truth of God or not? I believe it is. Someone said, no, no, Pastor, you got it all wrong. It's called the Broadway because it was the widest Indian path. And it goes the whole way from Battery Park to Albany without a break. And it was their main thoroughfare, and that's why it's called the Broadway. Okay, that may be true. But it's also true that most people go in at the wide gate and take the Broadway thinking they're going to get something good when all they're doing is bringing God's judgment upon themselves. You see, God wanted Abraham to pray for the people of the city of Sodom and Gomorrah even though he knew he was going to destroy them. Here's why, my friend. So that Abraham would have confidence in God's love, in God's holiness, and in God's judgment. Let me tell you something. The God of the Bible is not harsh. He's holy. He is unmoving in His justice because His love has paved the way for you to have forgiveness from every sin that you've ever sinned. And I've had people over the years, Preacher, you don't know what I've done. Don't tell me. I already know enough bad stuff. Tell Jesus. Because he's the one that can take away your sins. And yet we know that God sent those two angels into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah not to evaluate the, the wickedness of the city, but to rescue Lot. And if you want encouragement today, if you want to know something about... Your own failures. Look down to Genesis chapter 19, verse 15. It says, And when the morning arose, the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, which means he had other daughters in the city, 
lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And while he lingered, the men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. Those angels literally dragged Lot out of the city. In the book of Second Peter, chapter 2, it says, And delivered just Lot. Now, do you get that? It says, And delivered just Lot. There's an awful lot about Lot that was not good. And yet in the biblical record, he's called just. You know why? Because when God saves you, he keeps you saved. In spite of what you do. You see, the catastrophe came. God removed the only righteous person and his family out of the city of Sodom before the judgment came. Miss Lot, Mrs. Lot was so entwined with the wickedness of the city already that she did not survive the extraction from the city. She turned back, and the Bible says became a pillar of salt. And there's a cliff over the white sea, over the Dead Sea that they actually call Lot's wife because it looks like a little statue of a person standing there on one of those cliffs. Uh, I, I don't want to pop anybody's bubble, but geography changes over... I mean, uh, ge- uh, I'm not using the word, but uh, the physical attributes of cliffs and things change and erode over the years. So it's, it's just an interesting thought. No biblical basis there. The issue is God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in such a way that nothing that we would recognize as life lives there today. That's a catastrophe. But God prepared Abraham through prayer and intercession for the people of Sodom, and he removed Lot. And Lot is a picture. The Bible says, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust until the day of judgment. Now we got one more. You want to talk about a catastrophe? Let me tell you a catastrophe that will be second only to Noah's flood in the scope of death and destruction that meets out on this earth. Hasn't happened yet. It's the second coming of our Lord. You see, when He comes back, The Bible says he's going to take the church. He's going to take his people out. Just like he did with Noah and the boat. Just like he did with Lot in the city of Sodom. He's got a promise. John 14, 3 says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Harold Camping Not excluded, but of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels in heaven, but my Father only. 
You gave somebody telling you Jesus is coming on a certain day. Write them off. They don't know their Bible. They don't know nothing about it. Because even the simplest child can understand if nobody knows but God the Father, then you're not God the Father, so you don't know, even though you claim to know. And I've known stories of even Baptist preachers who preach sermons on Jesus is coming back. We don't know the day or the hour, but it's got to be. And they'll tell you a year. Well, that's come and gone. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. Amen. It is going to be an event we call the rapture. How many of you know what the word rapture means? It means great joy. But what's going to happen to those that are left behind? They're going to begin to live the pages of the revelation of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It could happen today. Someone said, the end, oh, it's Harold Camping, yeah. The end of the world is in May of, what year was that, 2014 or something like that? I'm going, you are so wrong. You're at least a thousand and seven days off. Amen, seven years off. At least a thousand and seven years. Because the world is not going to end. And there's not going to be a new heaven and a new earth until the battle of Armageddon is fought. Jesus sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. The tribulation is over. All those things got to happen. So don't get upset with the date keepers. Let's go back. This is a commentary. On Habakkuk 2.4. I hope you're still there in your Bible. It says... Behold, his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him. But the just shall live by his faith. You know what your job is today? It's to live by your personal faith in Jesus Christ. We say amen to that. And there's no one in this room that's not capable of having and maintaining a personal faith with Jesus Christ except the youngest children. You don't need to be saved until you become a sinner. Amen. Someone said, how does that work? Well, it's very simple. How many sins did Jesus pay for when he said it is finished? This is Romans chapter 7. Read it. Paul said, I was alive without the law once. But when sin, said, but when the law came, sin revived. And I died. There'll come a time in every person's life That beautiful newborn little baby. Oh, they're wonderful. They're not very beautiful when they're newborn. But give them a week or two and they start turning the right color and and all of those things. And by the way, that's not a smile for the first two and a half months. It's just gas. But it's okay. Uh, We'll take them as smiles anyway. Well, won't we? 
And, and we enjoy that little baby. But how many of you have ever been around a 45-year-old baby? Yes, yes. Do you enjoy 45-year-old babies? Boy, I sure don't. Most of the time it's, okay, God, you promised me your grace is sufficient, but it's running thin right now. The problem is me, I know. But I, I, I need some more to put up with this person. Amen? Because it's not cute when a grown adult acts like a baby now, is it? It's not nice. And God doesn't want us to be babies. He wants us to be ready when He comes. He wants us not to allow our soul to be lifted up in us. He wants us to live by personal faith. Could I change that just a little bit without doing any injustice to the Scripture? We'll just put the working definition. The just shall live by his obedience to the revealed will of God and word of God. And everything you need to know about God's will is written down in this book called the Bible. You say, well, how does our missionary know he's supposed to go to Burma? That's not written down in the Bible. Well, I'll tell you this, the same way I knew it was God's will for me to lead my family to Astoria nearly 25 years ago. You see, I got following what was written down, and this is where I ended up. You see, I didn't need a crystal ball. I didn't need to see a story written over the side of a van as it drove by or on a sign. Oh, this is how I first got to a story. Brother Clayton and I were traveling here in the city. We were trying to get to Woodhaven from Long Island, and we ended up in a story. Try to do that by accident. It's hard, but we got it done. And a story got on my radar. And the Lord led me here. But nothing fantastic about that. You see, God gave Noah 120 years to get ready for the flood. And he was ready. When Abraham woke up the next morning and saw the smoke rising, and the Bible says is a great furnace from the plains of Sodom and Gomorrah, that before that day was likened to the Garden of Eden, the Bible tells us. He had confidence that God did not let one righteous person die with the wicked. See, that's my God. And I didn't need John Calvin to figure that out. It's just in my Bible, amen? But Jesus is coming back someday. You know, I hope that's part of the reason you're here in church this morning. Is because the Bible says that we ought to assemble together in Jesus' name.
Let's try that again. Uh, the Bible says that we ought to assemble together in Jesus' name. You see, that's, that's what church is about. It's being obedient to Christ. But there are mean people in that church. Well, welcome to the real world. Amen. The only solution for that is Jesus Christ. Where are you going to get sin fixed? Right here. In church. You know, a lot of people have problems with their salvation. And they, they wonder if they're really saved or not. And they doubt it. And, and they think about it. And they wonder. And, and the devil just loves to play games with your mind with that kind of stuff. And let me tell you what the answer is. You put yourself in a church that preaches the Bible. Every service. God will solve those questions rather quickly. Because the answer is in the Word. That doesn't mean you get a progressive salvation a little bit over it. That's what some people believe. No, you're either saved or you're lost. We've had some people in the church and, and they'll come and say, Pastor, I'm just really having some problems here. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's figure this out. There are two main reasons why people... I've never met anyone that didn't fall into one of these categories. Why people doubt their salvation. Number one is you never had it in the first place. And number two is you've allowed some sin or disobedience to God into your life. And you don't feel saved anymore because you've got a problem. Listen. If you're going to live by faith, you've got to get that salvation issue settled first because nothing else matters. And nothing else will work. Until you get that thing settled. After salvation, guess what? There's a baptistry back here. And it's for people who want to live by faith. But you got to get wet. Amen? Uh, nobody else can get baptized for you. you got to get wet. And I like that because I'm the one that makes you wet. Amen? Uh, you have to have a proper biblical authority for baptism. And that's not me as a person. It's the church. That's where the authority is. And we baptize by faith. You know what? It takes faith to show up and put up with my preaching week after week and year after year. I understand that. And I praise God for that. That people have faith to come back. And that God gives me a sermon to preach. Because we do what we do by faith. It takes faith to pass out tracts on the street. It takes a lot of faith to put a roof on a church in Brooklyn. And we're still needing some. You pray for us. Monday is our last main work day. And we got about three or four days work if we really get with it, we could get it done in three days. We got one. So you pray for us. But we're doing what we're doing by faith. And if it is accomplished, it'll be God that did it, not us. But let me tell you, Jesus is coming back. Here is the pattern. God was going to destroy the world with a flood, right? Where was Noah? He was in the ark. 
It took him 120 years to build the ark. God gave him time that was necessary to prepare himself for the catastrophe that came. God sent his angels into the filth and wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah to grab Lot by the hand and drag him out of that city. And he gave Abraham confidence that in that day of great catastrophe and loss of life, they had done everything possible. You know, that's why we have missionaries in. That's why we give to missions. I, I want to have confidence when I stand before God that I've done everything possible to serve Him for the cause of missions in this world. We say amen to that. You see, Jesus is coming back. And if you think those things were bad, you just wait. They say about two billion people died in the flood somewhere in that neighborhood. Those who are supposed to know these things. We got a population closing in on seven billion people. And somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the world population is going to die in that seven-year period called the tribulation. You do the math. That's double Noah's Ark. And there'll still be people left when it's all done. That's a terrifying thought. It's beyond our comprehension. You say those numbers and it just... Just beyond. But let me tell you something. Here's how you get ready for the catastrophe. The just shall live by his faith. I remember when September 11th happened. They closed the preacher's meeting early. We went back to the hotel room, and of course they were playing the, the thing, and my wife and I just sat down on the bed and wept, and we tried to call some of our people. And of course you couldn't get into New York City uh, no matter what. And we got a hold of a few people and talked to them who we could. We came back the next day. But you know what? What we were doing before 9-11 is the exact same thing we're doing after 9-11. Hopefully a little better, a little more than we were then. But we're just going to keep serving Christ. Don't walk around wondering when the next catastrophe is going to happen. Live by faith and you'll be where God wants you to be doing what God wants you to do when it happens. You see, you can allow your soul to be lifted up within you. You can think you're going to solve all these problems and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. I, I, I want to live by faith. I want it to be my faith in Jesus Christ. You may hear me complain once in a while, but I'm not complaining about faith. Sometimes this old body does not like to do what I tell it to do. Anybody else ever have that problem? Uh, but you know what? If we're doing it by faith, God's going to give us grace and He's going to prepare us 
That's a biblical pattern. And so, yes, there should be sorrow in our hearts for all those that lost their lives on 9-11. There should be a prayer that by God's grace, it won't have to happen again. But let's live by faith. So we'll be where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to do. And then all of a sudden the catastrophes are just another step in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people say, Dear Heavenly Father,